Hey there, everybody. Petey, your host of 8mm Dissection, as always, here to just give you the introduction real quick of this episode of Tusk Part 2. Um, in case you don't remember from a couple of days ago, uh, this is the second half of a show that I did with a, I don't know if dear friend is the right word yet, because we've only just spoken for the first time, at least, uh, you know, hearing each other's voices when we recorded this, but um, a guy that I have good appreciation for and had a great time doing this podcast with, Sean of Language of Bromance. Uh, the cool motherfucker. So uh, here I am just kind of letting you guys know that this is the back half of that podcast. Um, I, this is the one that I'm, I did mention in the first one that I get pretty sloppy drunk, and this is the half that you can tell. Uh, I start to stumble on words, and it gets kind of slurry, and it's frankly kind of embarrassing. But hey, we tend to get drunk on this show anyway, so it's not that big of a break from form, I guess, in uh, all reality. Josh and I have had a show similar to this, so hopefully I held it together enough to uh, at least be like coherent in how I was talking. I hope I don't sound like the biggest retard in the world. I won't even listen to it because I'm just worried of how it'll sound. Um, that's just me being self-conscious. Um, I'm babbling. We're a minute and 12 seconds into this already, and there's really nothing else I can say. So uh, here it is, folks. Uh, the second half of Tusk Part 2 with Sean from Language of Bromance and yours truly, Petey. Cue the theme music, Tim. What? Oh, right. Um, they say I should also let you know that this is picking up, uh, right as we're meeting a new character in the movie, Guy Lepointe. We are in a Gimli slider, it's like a fast food restaurant kind of idea, and, uh, we've got Teddy and Allie sitting down with this new detective, uh, and that's right where we left off. They had just met Guy Lepointe, so that's where we're picking up in the movie at roughly an hour and a half in or whatever it is. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show now, I guess, that I'm done spewing my bullshit robot talk. Spacing my words out. Weird. Now I'll cue the music. I love, I love still. I don't know if in uh, Yoga Hosers if they if they credit it as Johnny Depp, but I love that they say Guy Lapointe, played by Guy Lapointe, <laughs> <laughs> not even credited. Right. <laughs> it. I think that's uh, probably one of the coolest things in this movie, as far as like the showbiz side of it, is that they got Johnny fucking Depp and his daughter. To do this movie that was made for, like, under $5 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's awesome about Johnny Depp is, you know, you know he doesn't watch any of his movies. For sure not. Yeah, so he does it. He does a movie, and he doesn't like to see anything. So I guess during this whole filming, um, Kevin Smith was like, hey, Johnny, come over here and watch this. And Johnny's like, okay. And he comes over and hits play. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait, what are you showing me? He's like, oh, I just, I just want to show you the rough cut of what we shot yesterday. He's like, no, no, I, I never like to see myself. I never like mm. to watch it. So, I mean, he's made all these movies, and he doesn't have a clue, like, how he's looked or anything. Right. I uh, I remember, uh, I can't, I don't remember exactly what it was from, but I remember Kevin talking about his experience with Johnny and how much he enjoyed playing this character. He's like, anytime you need me to play Gila Point, let me know, and if I'm not filming something else, I will do it. <laughs> yeah. like, I guess he says like he was doing the voice for like weeks after filming. He was annoying everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Which, but, honestly, like, we've all come to know Johnny Depp for being who he is. And this character is not not just within his depths, but it is very much who Johnny Depp should be playing in almost any movie. Like, yeah. it feels so Johnny fucking Depp, despite, like, the French-Canadian accent and the strange mustache and the odd hair with the beret. It just, it all still, and the weird nose that they added on. Yeah. The whole thing comes together, and you're like, that's totally Johnny Depp. Even my fiancé was like, is that Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love like I mean that that's a dude that gets it. He's like, you know, this this is something fun I can do. I get to act with my kid. Why not do it? He doesn't think he's bigger than the world. Um, you know, this guy's made more money than you know a lot of people see. You know, in probably ten lifetimes. Hell, just off Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean he could do anything he wants, and you know he it seems like he does things he likes or anything that's by uh, Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Which I mean I'm not gonna argue with that. Yeah. It's rare that I'm disappointed at all in Tim Burton's films. So, yeah, it it was really fun to watch him play this character, and boy, does he nail it. I mean, it's one of my favorite parts, or favorite characters, rather, in the entire movie. Um, top three, for sure. I mean, it's Guy Lapointe. It's how well Justin Long does playing Wallace. And, of course, it's how well Michael Parks plays Mr. Howard Howe. And... Just watching him be the master of his craft the way he is alongside these other two that have been doing it pretty much just as long as he have in this movie that was made for so little money is, I mean, I guess having that that like behind the scenes knowledge makes all the difference. If you're just like a first time watcher, you know nothing of the lore. But like if you know that and like you watch this and you and you kind of watching it with that in mind, you're like, this doesn't really happen. Like how often do you see something that's kind of uh indie based and, and grassrootsy and like he, he even wanted to i mean i'm you've probably heard this as well he wanted to crown fund this movie as much as possible and yeah, like he had plan, set yeah. something up and somebody like called him out on it and he got all wet feet because of it he got all kind of butthurt and he's like oh god yeah i'm not a cheap piece of shit i don't need people to pay for my movies but it's like to, well, to, now, and now ahead. the thing is like a lot of uh people do that for their movies i mean there's like some big big uh I can't remember what some of some of the like TV shows that they brought back for a single movie like they were crowdfunded, you know, because it's it's an acceptable way to get money. It is. It really is. And the crowds are more and more these days making decisions for execs. I mean, we we need executives less and less for that kind of stuff because it's like, well, aren't you serving us at the end of the day? Like we're the ones that you want to please. So why don't you just let us tell you what we want? And that shows with this too. Like it was made for three million bucks. I don't know how much Johnny Depp made for Pirates of the Caribbean, but I guarantee you it was more than three million bucks. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, it was more than the budget of this film. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this gives uh, this gives these people the artistic creativity or the artistic uh, um, freedom to do what they want to do with this film. There's nobody saying no. You have to do it this way so we can make our money back. You know, times ten. You know, it's, it's somebody saying, hey, here's this money. Go make your movie. As long as I get my money back, I'm fine. But make the movie you want to make. And that's just that's you're going to see a lot of people have the ability to do that stuff in the near future. And it's just going to help artists and people who want to be creative, you know, go forth and prosper. Right. That That's another thing that Kevin's touched on is like you can make a phone with your eye or you can make a movie with your iPhone now. Yeah, like, I just uh, about two weeks ago I shot my first short on my iPhone. Did you really? Yeah, I, I remember you talking right about that a little bit uh, back before you were shooting, and I didn't know that it happened. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you shot it for one day. I've got some, I got some cheap equipment just to kind of hold stuff in place, make it a little stable. 
Um, I actually had a, a kid who's a film student at the local college here. I showed him what I cut and I told him before, I was like, yeah, I'm planning on shooting it on my phone. And he kind of got the like, oh, okay, that's going to look like shit. Mm-hmm. He came, watched a little bit I have. And like, he was like, he's like, what, what'd you shoot this on? I'm like, I just shot it on my phone. He's like, I cannot tell. I can't tell at all that you shot this on your phone. What like, did it you looks use? Like, uh, just my iPhone. My, uh, I got iPhone? a 6S. Yeah. All right. So oh, it, Apple's known for having like the best cameras in the game. Yeah, I mean the one I have is 4K eligible, but like um, basically everybody I've talked to is like, yeah, don't shoot in 4K because we always downgrade to 1080 anyway. Yeah, and it just takes up way more space. For sure does. That's really cool, man. I and you're editing it, cutting it all together, and everything. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped for it. So I mean, that's just kind of like what you get from this stuff. It's like, you know, this dude's like, hey, you want to make a movie? Make it on your phone. Anybody can do it. Upload it on YouTube. Upload it on Vimo. You know. Yeah, you may not make a billion dollars from it, but you know it's a stepping stone to something else. You know, you make you one, made you make another, and it's out there. Yeah, if if you like like with this movie, he says like you know if I didn't make this, it wouldn't exist. So at least it's out there in the world right now. I I got to please myself. I got to see the story that I wanted to see come to life, and other people are enjoying it with me. What else could I ask for? I mean, uh, that is the, the artist's dream, is it not? Yeah, and he seems like he's the guy that's kind of got to do what he wants to do with his movies. Um, I think, you know, Jay and Silent Bob, I think he had a different idea before for that, but, you know, it was owned by the Weinsteins. They said, no, you need to make it a road trip movie. They're like, okay, well, I'll write it as a road trip movie. So I feel like he's had to give up some stuff in the more um, big pictures he's done. But, like, with this and Red State, like, he's really got to do what he wants to do. And like you said, that's the artist's dream. Almost I was, ironically, Jay and Silent Bob's what got me into Kevin Smith. Yeah, that was the first one I ever saw. I, I didn't really understand it very much. Um, and I had a buddy's like, like the we'll first go. time you saw it? Yeah, because there's all yeah. the references to his old movies. Right. And uh, my buddy who got me into it, he's like, here, watch this. He had Clerks like 10 year anniversary or whatever. He's like, here, watch this. And I watched it and like I giggled and I thought it was good. But the part that really opened my eyes, like, oh my God, is. Um, I watched the original cut, so and I don't know if you've seen the original cut where at the end... Yeah, I have the uh, the Blu-ray that has that with it. Yeah, in the end, Dante gets killed. Yep. And when I saw that, it like opened up my eyes, because I was, I was in college at the time, I was working a job I hated, um, and it really opened my eyes as like, oh shit, this dude's doing something that he wasn't even supposed to do that day, and his life ended that day. It's like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And I wish I could go back to, to 22-year-old Sean or 21-year-old Sean, however what I was, and be like, dude, you know, anything you want to do, just fucking try and do it. Don't worry about people judging you or being like, your shit sucks. It doesn't matter because you're doing something you want to do. That's why we're here, man. That's 100% why we're doing this today. And it feels so fucking cool that we can do this. I feel like it's such a dick-sucking part of it, like the, almost this whole show, but like... Yes. <laughs> I, I don't want to break into it too much, but I keep falling into it. Yeah, you and Rich have had your days. I'll, I'll accept the one time I've got a, somebody I look up to on my show that I'll just allow that shit to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah, but, dude, it, it's just really cool to, to be living this shit out and to watch people like Johnny Depp participate in something that's on an indie level and... And that trickles down to, to us, people like us, like people that don't have that outlet, people that aren't living in L.A. We don't necessarily think that making that jump is feasible and and dudes like this make that possible. So, I mean, we're, we're really just through this whole show, I feel like. And, and this is kind of almost what I was going for is like 
this just shows people that dreams can come true. Whether or not you or I are making shit for money or we're famous or we're getting TV spots or we're getting anything, we are doing what we want to do and we're having a great goddamn time doing it. And and putting this all together, having it come full circle, like Kevin inspired you, inspired me, that whole thing, it's all coming around. Like having all of that, just it's so cool. Like you guys made me do this. So I feel like doing this show is almost like a guys, if you haven't done this already, get out there and do it. And just having the opportunity to not only have that come into our lives, but being able to put that into other people's experience or even put the idea into their head or anything would be just insurmountably fucking cool. Yeah. Any of these things I always keep telling people, it's like, you know, you're not going to be perfect at it at first. So just jump into it. You know, like the, the, the first podcast I did wasn't very great. The first short I'm going to do isn't going to be that great, but I'm still, it's a stepping stone. I'm learning something and you improve on that. Sure enough. I mean, here we are a year later, and our shows are just finally starting to get decent, in my opinion. I mean, I'm just finally starting to get happy with them. I mean, it takes time. So let's see. Uh, let's get back. Yeah, Gila Point, right? So he's, he's sitting here. <laughs> he's sitting <laughs> here. Um, and I love, too, like you got the Gimli Slider place, right? So, yep. um, you know, it's, it's another ode to, to a Smodcast episode. Indeed. And he's kind of talking about uh, this killer that he's been, you know, his white whale, if you will. You know, he's killed 23 men. And he kind of goes on, I was like, you know, if there's any indication, it's going to be 24 soon. Because I think it's like he said, about a month, he ends up killing them and we find their bodies. Um, the, the line in here that killed me, he talks about how one of them was, he sews their arms so he's like a crucified T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. Which like, is another poll straight from the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Kevin even makes the comedy. is like, and if there was a crucifix, it would be a very small one. Yeah, it looks like this. I love you. Know, it's like these people have come to you because their best friend, their their boyfriend has been kidnapped and possibly dead, and you're making a T-Rex crucified joke. It's like, no, it looks like this. Get it? You get it? You'll get it later. Yeah, it's fine. You'll, you'll pick it up. And uh, as he's talking, uh, Allie asks him, um, pretty much he's like, you know, has any of these guys ever been, you know, like been like sexually, you know, abused or anything like that when they've been captured? And... Gila Point goes, oh, no, no, he does nothing sexy. And he goes on about saying how, you know, the guys at the station, they call him the first wife because, you know, I guess we talked about this earlier, sorry, you know, because he cuts out their teeth and he chains them up. So he's like, we call him the first wife killer because, you know, you know, the first wife doesn't let you talk, uh, doesn't let you go anywhere, and they don't fuck you. <laughs> and they kind of look at him, he's like, she don't fuck you, get it? He's like, oh, well, maybe if you've been married a few times, you'd get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like, okay, I mean, it's just another person that just doesn't get it. Right, okay, this guy has a sad life. These kids have no idea what I'm talking about. I've lived too much of a life. I need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, he goes through all of that. Um, I, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is, like, watching him have this nonchalant conversation about this serial killing guy who's cutting off limbs and, uh, you, you know, sewing shit together and all that good stuff. And he's like, he's got, the, he gets this burger in the middle of the whole thing and it's like <laughs> squashes the thing flat to make it like quesadilla thin. And then just starts, I just like, for some reason that just caught my, my eye. And I was like, what is, how is, what is this? 
What is this? It's the Who one squishes down- their burger like that? It's the one downfall of the Quebec people. Not one goddamn Gimli slider anywhere. <laughs> French Canada does not have the Gimli slider. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he pours some liquor into his soda because, of course, that giant nose of his indicates that he's a boozer. <laughs> and she's she's asking him about like uh, why their teeth are gone, and he's like, "Wait, I gotta finish my drink. Hold on." And chugs that shit like straight up teenager like beer bongs his <laughs> his liquor. Gotta say he handled it like a champ. I'm struggling to drink light cinnamon whiskey right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he, he he finishes up some of his grub, kind of gives him a little bit of info, and he's like, "Well, I, I think I've met this killer once before." He's like, I need to tell you a story. He's like, come close. And he's like, no, come close. Closer. <laughs> he gets visibly upset. No, closer. Can you get closer? <laughs> it's, I love that part. Because, like, the way it all happens is, like, he just, like, stops. He's like, come in close. <laughs> closer. Can you get closer? Like, like, are you smart enough to get close to me? <laughs> like, we're in a restaurant by ourselves. Just tell us the fucking story. A fast food restaurant at that. Like, it's not like the upper crust of the entire Vancouver area are hanging out here. We're at the Gimli Slider. <laughs> slide in, slide out, man. There's no upper crust hanging out here. And then we get, you know, the introduction to to him running into uh Mussier. Yeah. Uh and that yeah, there's so many great things from this scene cuz you you get him with his creepy voice again cuz it's Howard Hughes. Um and I'm trying to figure out cuz when he did his Itchy spider, that's the voice he's using here. 100%. 100%. So I'm trying to figure out if that's the actual Howard Hughes is that voice. You think so? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm not sure. Like in this last viewing, that's kind of the thought I had is the the guy with the the simpleton weird voice. That's the the actual guy. Oh, okay. See how I took that was like uh, to me, like despite the fact that this guy's crazy as all hell, it seems like he has some sort of semblance of I need to not get caught going on. I mean, to be on his twenty. Fourth or fifth victim, I can't remember exactly which. Yeah, twenty um, fourth would be uh, Wallace. Would be Wallace. Okay, so to be on his twenty fourth victim now, this dude has to have some semblance of intelligence. So to me, I took this as like almost him disguising himself to come off to this guy as a simpleton, as to not raise any sort of like questions. Maybe I've watched too much Burn Notice to possibly distinguish the difference. But it, I mean, it could be because I mean, it's a cop showing up on your front door when you have Gregory Gumtree. In, in your house dressed up as a, a walrus. I mean, that could be it. Right. He's it, like, maybe if I, I tell this guy, hey, can you go shoot this spider? Because that's how he does it. He's like, there's a spider. Yeah. There's and a not, spider and, in my shitter. And again, it's the brown recluse. Yeah, the homo spider. <laughs> the ho- the, yeah, the hobo spider. It's the hobo spider. <laughs> Let me kick your ass. And I love, because, and this is kind of, I don't know, it maybe goes back a little bit to where you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of somebody. Because he's spitting these lies. He's spitting lies about this uh, hockey rink, about um, the uh, Puccini Weenie. The Puccini Weenie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Guy Lapointe is like, oh, you know, um, you know I, can't, I can't have uh, Puccini Weenie because it, 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 it gives me the shits. I'm sorry to be crass, but it gives me the shits. <laughs> uh, Puccini, uh, uh, Guy, 
Well, it gives me the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. He does that creepy laugh. Just <laughs> like, like they're like, they're both privy to some private dirty joke. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Uh, and I love and I love the reference back to to Smodcast with the Gregory Gumtree. You know that's oh, yeah. where this original story came from. Gregory was uh, it was the name of the the person, right? Gregory. Oh yeah, actually, Gregory was the name of the the walrus and the, the, the walrus, podcast. Okay. And, uh, and Gumtree was the website that the the original article was posted. And who was Wallace in the original one? Wallace, I think they said, was the the guy who um, it's it's the same character that is Wallace Wallace in the uh, the movie. Oh, okay. Because okay. in the in the podcast, I think that it, it took place in Brighton, yeah, Brighton, uh, England, and there Brighton. was Brighton, and the idea was that Wallace lived with two other roommates that were hooligans, football hooligans, who just were terrible roommates. That's soccer for you in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and those dudes are crazy. Oh, wait, they throw, like, shit. bags of piss at, like, the opposing team. Like, <laughs> yeah. football hooligans are crazy. It does get intense. I've watched some videos on YouTube of just, like, interviews after, like, rivalry matches and stuff go on, and boy, do they get rowdy. Uh, you think our, like, football, our, like, our American football here's bad? Yeah, that's, whew. It they're close to the same, if not like they might take us. Cause like in my hometown, I think it was probably about seven or eight years ago. Now uh, I live in a college town, and we have one of the larger state universities here. And our home team lost some crazy football game, and there was a riot in town. Like cars oh, were flipped over, like Molotov cocktails were thrown. Like it got real in town here, and I live right in the middle of that shit. Granted, I was pretty young at the time and a little farther away than I am now, but like not even a half mile. So like it, it shit was crazy here in town. Just imagine so, like somebody not into it, like sitting there drinking a drink, watching all this happens. Like, huh? Guess our team didn't sport good enough today, did they? <laughs> they didn't sport good enough today. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just watching out the window, and you got people flipping cars, throwing <laughs> cocktails. Dudes are stripping through the streets. <laughs> mm, this isn't what I needed on my Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Trying to enjoy a Michelob light, <laughs> seeing a bunch of wiener. It's kind of awkward. This town got crazy for a good weekend, honestly. It was pretty wild. But far beyond the fucking point. Yeah, and so the uh the only uh, so we kind of come back to the scene in uh the uh Gimli slider mm-hmm. and Gila Point's kind of finishing up and he's talking about how, you know, uh, there was something weird about the faces of the victims. Like their teeth were out and they found what looked to be a tibula bone. So he a fragment of a tibia. fragment, yeah, yes, small yes. fragment in like and, a, a hole in the gums almost. Yeah, and so there, you know, that's what got him kicked off the force because he had some kind of uh, theory about that. And so he went to the hockey player's mom, and this is again where he gets like a great voice. I don't know if I can do it, but he's like, uh, I went to her and I asked her, you know, like what happened to your baby, and this man. Is making a monster, <laughs> and it's like if this wasn't a comedy, it would be so creepy. It would for sure. That's what saves this movie from being on the same level as Human Centipede is the fact that you know it's a Kevin Smith and there is a hint of comedy. 
Yeah, you show this to somebody that doesn't realize that, yeah, they're not going to know that. Like, they're probably going to get extremely freaked out by this. This is They're going to wonder what kind of crazy, psychotic mind this movie came out of. <laughs> <laughs> It'll blow their mind on the level that Requiem for a Dream's last scene blows most people's yes. minds. <laughs> ass to ass. <laughs> there we go. We got two. <laughs> I'm not sure why I chose ass to ass, but <laughs> I had the pencil in my hand and I was feeling eager. Because uh. <laughs> I have pencils and not drumsticks. I'm sad. Um, so, yeah, uh, the other thing that I noticed with the whole Bartholomew Mosier thing, they, fi- they found a way to introduce Mosier into the whole fucking movie. And then Bart, I think, was also in 259, but it was like after they kind of were done, if I'm not mistaken, right? How did Mosier most get in of the there? talk toss? Well, they just included his name with, uh, like, the simpleton version of what uh, um, Guy Lapointe meant of Howard Howe. Oh, okay. Bartholomew Mosier. Oh, Mosier I gotcha. is spelled yeah. Mosier. They just pronounced it the Canadian French way. Ah, I gotcha. Nice, and then Bartholomew nice. was also, um, somebody's name was Bart in the episode. I just In the podcast episode, I just can't remember what it was. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that whole character's name was based off of... Uh, more smodcast stuff, I guess. Just another insider tip. Um, but like that's his his run in with uh, with Howard Howe before. You know, he, he runs into this guy who's playing a simpleton. All the while, he's got Gregory Gumtree in his basement and torturing him. Who knows if he's already a walrus? All that good stuff. So that's his story. He's like, I ran into him and I think I let him go and I fucked it all up. Ah, ah. So go ahead and take it from there. So, you know, he talks about that, you know, the man is making a monster, and we get back to our enclave uh, with uh, Howard sitting next to, I I really, you almost have to call him Mr. Tusk at this point, because I think he started the transformation. He's definitely started the transformation, for sure. And this scene is so much like, it reminds me of whenever you have that person that kind of hangs out with you, and they really feel like they're your best friend. But you really don't know them, and you—it's almost like single white female situation. Because <laughs> he's sitting had a few there. Drinks, you're feeling comfortable, but they're yeah. feeling way too comfortable. <laughs> got our got our feet in the water. We're kicking around. Also, he's like, "Oh, I am so tired, Mister Tusk." And he turns around and just lays on him like, "Yo, they're the bestest friends in the world." My starts, clue is pointing this way, <laughs> and starts <laughs> singing to him, <laughs> which is so creepy. And, uh, Do you know and what song he was singing? I didn't recognize the song. I didn't and recognize I felt it. Like, no, yeah. I felt pretty ashamed that I didn't recognize what song it was because I'm sure it was ironic as all hell. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, again, just another like, because like he's he's beating this guy down. It's like, okay, I'm going to lay on you and there's nothing you can do about it. Cuddling like fa- a married couple. And the fact that he's laying on this this body of dead skins is even more creepy. <laughs> a, a live body encased of dead skin. <laughs> <laughs> and singing to that body encased in other bodies. And, oh, and my as, God. And as he's singing, Wallace is, you know, uh, I don't know if he, I can't tell why he started making these noises. But, again, this is what made me think. Maybe his tongue was ripped out. Because Guy Lapointe mentioned the tongues are gone. Yep. And he starts kind of like crying. And I think it's what it is. He's, he's crying at the situation. It's like, this dude, like, th- I'm going to die as a walrus. I don't want to die as a walrus. And he starts making these moans. Where's and, the dignity? Yeah. <laughs> and Howard's like, oh, you must be hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
This is so fucking weird. Uh, it's like it's. <laughs> I don't know what it'd be equivalent to, but it'd be like somebody you know, uh, just fucking with you so hard and be like, oh, here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I feel like they should have played like the sad Hulk music behind the scene. And oh, it would have just yeah. made it that much better. The indignity of it. He throws it, he throws the fish on there. He's like, it's a mackerel. Bon appetit. And then like steps through his like almost what would you call it? Like a yacht style door with a porthole in it. Yeah, he's looking and, at the porthole. And he's looking through and watching this like Wallace man. Walrus man, Wallace man, whatever you want to call it, I suppose, grovel over this dead mackerel laying on the concrete in front of him. Well, and, he's and got you're watching this and juice hanging off his face. You watch this, and it's almost like he's getting off on it. Like he's like, "You are my Mister Tusk. Like this is the transformation. You are, you are Mister Tusk now. It's working. It's working." <laughs> And this was one of the shots from the trailer, too, that just creeps you out with, like, it, it just sets the mood for this movie. I've never watched any of the trailers. Oh, uh, I... Fact. Because, I mean, I was a big fan of this before it came out. Like, I really wanted to see it. And so, like, the trailers that came out, I was watching it. And then, you know, it's 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 a horror movie. It's 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 a really, really good horror movie. It, it really is. I mean, the story is truly sketch. And if you're a horror fan and, like, you know it's a Kevin Smith movie, you definitely can, you know, kind of let the, the comedy part of it kind of go, I guess, and appreciate it as a horror film because there is some serious terror in this. And this is another one of those moments where you're like, this dude is fucking with me. Like, this dude wants me to break. I, and he's, he's pushing him to the max. It's like, okay, you're, you're either going to die a human in a walrus outfit, or you're going to become a walrus. Those are your two choices. That's all you have. That's pretty obvious at this point, even despite the fact he hasn't said it. Said it. Said it. Jesus. The liquor's setting in, Sean. <laughs> the liquor's setting in. So, you know, he slowly closes the porthole because he's like, okay, he's eating the fish, so he's basically three-quarters of the way there of the transformation. A lot of screams, no tongue, walrus outfit. He's just about there. You flip the switch on that brain, and that last cord is gone. Let's see. Yeah, so the next piece we get, um, I don't know, do you have anything else for the Enclave? I mean, no, that's, that's I mean, the vast majority of that. I mean, it's just kind of a, a last stitch of creepiness of just like, okay, man, this is this is about to go south, and he's truly treating you like the animal he wants you to be. So, I mean, oh, what God. more could there really be to say than this? Other than uh, Wallace has been demeaned to the ultimate level. He, he really doesn't have anywhere else he can go. He's been called a monster. He's been made a monster. He's been nearly drowned to death and realized he's not one in a million. He's like 24 in a million. <laughs> when we get back to... Uh, so they show Guy Point with um, Ali and Teddy. They're in the car. And he's kind of doing some investigating work. He's, you know, he's in his Canadian Batman mode. He's like, okay, so what would Wallace do? You know, he's getting in the car. You know, does he smoke a pack of cigarettes? Does he chew tobacco? You know, I, I can't remember what he said he does. What uh, Guy Lapointe specifically does. Like, I can't start a car unless I've got, um, I think, basically like a coffee with eight sugars and one creamer or something. And that's where we find out about his lug for Chug-A-Lugs. A double-double with eight sugars. Yeah, double-double. And so we find out that, oh, he, he really likes convenience store um, sippy cup type things. Like, he likes those big, you know, 64-ounce cups. Good old half gallon <laughs> to keep you good and hydrated of soda. 
And we get our, our second intro of him in the convenience store. It's a little bit more filled out. And, uh, you know, we kind of see the same scenes where he's talking to the girls and he's like, hey, De- hey, how are things at Degrassi going? <laughs> <laughs> Which, did you ever watch Degrassi at all? I've seen it like one or two episodes, not many, but. All right. Um, me and my, not my fiance now, but my, my former girlfriend, um, we were, we dated in high school for a good two and a half years. And at a certain point of a relationship, she showed me an episode of Degrassi. And that's a problem because I fell in love with the show. <laughs> nice. And, and never, never have I felt like a, a, a strange young 20-year-old than when my friends told me that I was very odd for having this <laughs> infatuation <laughs> with Degrassi. Because believe me, it has not faded. When this girl and I were dating, I was probably 16, 17, maybe early 18. And boy, did I love this show. But it has not stopped, I assure you. Here I am telling my friends that I love Degrassi. (laughs) And then I tried showing them a few episodes. I showed them specifically the episode where Drake gets shot in the back. And they laughed at me so goddamn <laughs> hard that I didn't know what to do with myself after that. Like, my Some whole life's just been shattered. <laughs> yeah. I've never shared my passion with you again. I love this, and all you do is make fun of me. I'm supposed to marry you, and you don't even care. <laughs> all three of the people in the room thought I was the biggest piece of shit in the world for <laughs> loving Degrassi on that level. So to hear this reference in this movie made me more than happy. It made me elated. It made me ecstatic. Well, I was made... happy to have somebody on my side for once. Well, he even he even touched on like we say. He's like, "Hey, how's you know how are things at Degrassi? You girls still getting pregnant, and getting shots?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, I, again, I wrote down Wallace is a dick. So the part that that really kind of solidifies he's a dick in this part too is you know he's he's on the phone, you know, and if people work retail, it, it always annoys them when you walk up on your phone. It's just rude. It is. And the girls are on their phone. And he's like, he puts the phone down. He snaps at him. He's like, hey, 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 get off your phones. Where, where's Bite Frost? <laughs> you know, he's being a dick to these girls on their phone, but it's like, you're on your phone too, dude. You're like, also being an asshole. <laughs> you can't yell is... at me for being an asshole when you're the asshole first. And we, this is where we get the great scene when he comes back around and they got the uh, little combs over their eyes. It's like uh, going on about, oh, I'm American. <laughs> Mr. Mustache. <laughs> yeah. It's the mustache guy. It's Mr. Mustache. <laughs> They start imitating him with combs under the noses. <laughs> I loved that. That was absolutely perfect. Because, like, again, you know, earlier in the movie, their characters made fun of, ah, oh, fucking American guys, you know, that kind of thing. So, to, like, I think this is probably one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is that they take a scene that you saw earlier in the movie, and this almost feels very non-Kevin Smith in the way it's done, and then they elaborate on it later and, like, oh, this is what we didn't show you that happened. Like this is very Tarantino, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a Kevin Smith movie, and that's t- almost total opposite worlds as far as movie making goes. Another interesting point as far as Tarantino goes, he was supposed to play Wallace. Was he supposed to play Wallace or Gila Point? Or, you're right, Gila Point, not okay. Wallace. Uh, sorry, I said the wrong name. Because I bad. think when he you're read right, the script, he thought he was supposed to play Howard Hughes, 
and then he was like, "No, I don't want to do this movie because I don't want to. I don't want to be a serial killer or something like that." Or oh, maybe he was supposed to be. He thought he was supposed to play Wallace. From what I recalled, if and again, this is entirely based off of half drunk remembering. So, take that with what you need. Um, it was based around the fact that he loved the script. He's like, "This is going somewhere that I haven't seen. I am Tarantino, you know, kind of thing." Like. This is what I love. But at the same time, he's like, but I, I just don't have time to act right now. I mean, think about the timing. He must have been right in the middle of starting the writing and, and getting the ideas ready for Hateful Eight. Yeah, yeah, that's a good I point. I mean, he must have been right in the middle of that stuff. He's like, I just, I just don't have time for acting right now. Like, it, it, it makes sense. And boy, would that have been another catch. Like, he got Johnny Depp, but imagine if he got Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah, for a key role too. Yeah, because Gila points a big role, but it's it's not pivotal to the movie, you right? Know, like long, like log sections of the movie, right? He doesn't get a lot of camera time, but like his character's pivotal as far as like how the story plays out. Yeah, yeah. And to see him play that character, was pretty interesting. What have you seen? What I I've never really heard you guys talk about Tarantino. What do you think of him? Uh, I'm a, I'm an okay. Like I'm not a huge huge fan of him. Um. I've seen a few of the flicks and like them, but um, I respect. I guess I like the like his themes and everything, but mm-hmm. it's just not my kind of movie. I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I definitely think it would have been interesting to see a guy like Tarantino in something like a Kevin Smith film. I mean, they're just total opposite worlds of what the film industry is. The only thing I would say they have in common is the fact that they both like dialogue a lot. Yeah. Other than that. They they have nothing in common. So to see those two cross streams, that was kind of a weird way to phrase that, um, would be really interesting. And uh, I, I just kind of wish I would have seen that play out a little bit. Like, even if he had done kind of like a cameo role, like uh, Stan Lee style, that would have been pretty cool. Like, just something even small. Maybe like the if you could fit in like the Gregory Gumtree and he plays Gregory Gumtree or something like that. Yeah, right. Like during that whole scene, if they had just done like a brief, maybe five, ten second cutaway of him being in the basement trapped below with Gregory Gumtree, that would have been pretty damn cool. Yeah, or yeah, stuck in the wheelchair with two legs cut off. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Oh, since we've been there, we may as well couple uh, cover this little fact. Um, in the fast food restaurant. The waitress that serves him his burger is Kevin Smith's wife. Yes, it was. Yeah, Miss Jennifer Schwalbach. Uh, I love the fact that in Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back, I think they just got married, or maybe they were just dating. I can't remember for sure. Um, but she uh, she read the script and she's like, "Oh, I want to be in this movie." He's like, "Okay, well, you know, what part do you want to be?" And she's like, "Well, I want to be one of the the thieves. I want to be one of the main girls." He's like, "Um, okay." Because um, she's <laughs> never acted before, she'd never done anything like that, um, and basically she kind of, you know, slept with the director, which was her husband, <laughs> to get into the flick, and it worked very well. I, I, I mean, go ahead. I was gonna say I didn't realize that that was her in my first viewings of it, um, and I did <laughs> notice the first later 10 on ten viewings I didn't yeah. know that. But she doesn't have a she of the the main actresses in that movie. She doesn't have as many lines. I think she has like maybe five or six. Yeah, she's definitely more of a face than she is a name or, or voice, I guess is probably the more apt term. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty interesting that it was like her first acting role. I think she's been in every movie of his since. If I'm not mistaken, you're right. Excuse my mumbled voice. My fiance brought me a sandwich. Oh, no worries. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see. So, uh, Gila Point and them, they get back to the e- A to Z, and they're right. kind of trying to figure out where he went. And, Mustache uh, ladies. They, uh, they get the pad of paper that he wrote on, and uh, this was one of my favorite <laughs> scenes. Yes. <laughs> he gets a pencil and does the whole, like, you know, drawing over it to figure out the address. And, of course, the two young girls, you know, I'm thinking, like, okay, they're seeing this as Johnny Depp. Um, and they're all like impressed, like super impressed. Allie's even like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wow. <laughs> and Teddy. Detective skills. <laughs> and Teddy, like a complete like dude, like a jealous dude is like, they did that in the Big Lebowski. Saw them just in the Big Lebowski ones. You know, that's, that's exactly where I learned this from. <laughs> uh. The idea that a detective learned this from like a stoner comedy film from the 90s. <laughs> And then is enacting it to solve like a murder crime. <laughs> <laughs> so so now now they know where they need to go. They know where uh, uh, Wallace is, so they're they're heading that way. They have the address. But the so we're back at the the enclave for the fourth time, and this is what I've coined as the intimate swim. I was super confused by this, but this is where Wallace is floating around in the water with uh howard and it's just this very like sensual awkward floating around where howard's like you know if i close my eyes i can see myself back on ponder rock he's like isn't this nice mr tusk and i didn't think about this until watching this this time around but um wallace seems a little disoriented like he doesn't seem like he's all there yeah i I would agree with that i kind of think that he poisoned the fish I think oh. Howard poisoned the fish to kind of give him get him more relaxed. Yeah, like whatever was in the tea, like a smaller quantity of it in the fish kind of thing. Yeah. I see. The, I didn't put that together, but that actually makes a lot of sense based on how this scene plays out. Because, I mean, he's just kind of floating. It's like, don't you think you'd still kind of fight that? Even if you were, like, going full walrus at this point, you would probably not allow him to just let you float around. Yeah, he seems really copacetic with the situation despite what's happened up to this point. And then there's the part where he... Uh, um, grabs his head to basically say, like, you know, you, I, you have to lose all your humanity or something to that point. And he puts his head under the water and starts making it almost like he's drowning. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out if he's, like, just trying to make him drown and become a walrus or if he was trying to force himself on him. Mm-hmm. That's the part I could never really understand. Well, like, part of the dialogue here is, like, he, he's kind of talking about, like, last time we fought, you weren't ready. This time I want you will be hardened and ready for the battle. So, like, I kind of took this as, like, I'm going to fuck with your head and make you ready to die when we finally, when we battle to the end. I want you to be ready to battle to the end, too. And I kind of took this as, like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hardening, hardening you for that battle. Because like that, sense, yeah. that's a fairly large part of that conversation is, you know, and this is also uh, I think there's like slight flashbacks during this, um, and the, they're finally showing you that n- when he was referring to, um, oh god, Mr. Tusk, uh, saving him and and being how how he slept inside of him and all that, because you just kind of see that he was eating him and literally sleeping inside of him, like like the revenant just happened, that whole thing. Where, like, he's seeking warmth inside this dead animal's body and using its flesh as food. And that's how he survived on this island and all that good stuff. He's like, last time you fought, you were not ready. Like, you trusted me. You brought me to this island. You saved my life. You you didn't think I would betray you. And yet, 
my human instincts, my my the all you know, this is again something that plays into all the conversations you kind of hear him have with Mr. Tusk, the new Mr. Tusk rather, uh, throughout the show is he's like humans are animals and and they have all these needs and and they do the all these fucked up things and like this is him kind of being like like you weren't ready for me to be a human. And now is your chance to be hardened. I want you to be ready for me to be a human. I want you to fight like you were ready for a human. It's like it's like Howard's ready to die. Like he he can't live with what he did, and he's trying to find the right Mister Tuss to take his life. Right. That's very much how it seems. And uh, from that point, uh, we are we actually jump back with the group. Uh, we've got Allie, Teddy, and Mister Lapointe. What do they find? My good well, Sean. They find uh, Wallace's car in the water. It's, oh, it's dear. ass out of the water. And Allie, of course, is like, oh, my God, we got to get Wallace out of there. Gila points like, no, 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 he's not in there. He's not in there. He is not in there. We always find the car within a couple of miles of zip point. And uh, I love this part because they uh, um, the Tusk song starts kicking in. But before that... Gila Point has this awesome case that he flips open and he pulls out two pistols and he's holding them up to Allie and Teddy. And uh, Teddy's like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> and Gila Point's like, you do not want a gun? <laughs> no, no, I don't want a gun. He's like, what kind of an American are you? You don't the like guns? Yeah, the kind that doesn't like guns. <laughs> take the gun, Teddy. And then, the, yeah, Allie's like, take the gun. The woman tells him to take the gun. And I love, so they take it, and he's like, Gila Point's just all nonchalant, like, okay, well, I guess I'll take Uh-oh. the big one. <laughs> and then I will take the big one. <laughs> Which, not to mention, is a really badass chromed out, yeah. like, shotgun, pump load yeah. shotgun. Like, it's badass. <laughs> totally not the weapon you would expect a French-Canadian half-drunk detective <laughs> to be using. Like, this really badass pimp chromed out shotgun. Probably never been fired in its life, you know. It's 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 mint condition. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think Deuce Bigelow's male gigolo pimp would be wielding this gun. <laughs> Hoping yeah, they, you've made the reference on that movie. Uh, so they, they take the guns, and this is when we get the full Tusk song um, from Fleetwood Mac. Lay it on me. And something like that. You laid it thick, and it's got me erect. I've got to be honest. <laughs> and I love that in this the scene. So they're they're getting to the house. They're hearing Wallace screaming, and this is where we're breaking into basically the walrus fight. This is the you know getting to the climax of this movie, and you see Wall uh, Wally kind of starting to come to. He's on the incla- the enclave again. And you're hearing Howard kind of talk to him again a little bit about, like, you know, you weren't ready to fight before, but, you know, now you need to, you know, are you going to be able to go full walrus at this point? And you see that he is in his own (laughs) walrus outfit. (laughs) But it's not like, you know, the tusks aren't screwed into his skull and he's not (laughs) sewn in. He's just wearing this costume at this point. And you get the awkward, it's almost like sumo wrestlers at the beginning just bouncing (laughs) off of each other. It's just two like bros bumping chest yeah. like bring it bro want to go it. you want to go? go you want to go uh, and it's funny cuz it, it <laughs> and I kind of thought about this because he he was he kept he keeps explaining like you weren't ready for a fair fight last time Mr. Tusk and I was thinking about this again I like I think he poisoned the fish 
because he really doesn't want a fair fight with Mr. Tusk. Yeah, that that does seem how it, sh- it seemed to be, rather, how it shakes out. Um, because as they're going, um, so they're they're doing this bouncing. The the um, Teddy and Allie are starting to break in the house, trying to figure out where he is. So they're in the house. You know, they're running here, they're running there. They hear him screaming, but they can't figure out how to get to him. And at this point, you know, uh, Howard says, you know what? I can tell that you're because Wallace is starting to grunt more. He's starting to become it's, he's becoming more of a walrus in more front of, of our walrus, eyes, but in front of our very eyes. And uh, Howard says, he's like, I can tell that your animal instincts are starting to kick in. You see him stand up and rip off the outfit. And he's like, but so is mine. <laughs> and he pulls out the walrus dick like he's about ready to smack the shit out of him again <laughs> to be killed with a walrus dick at the end of all of this oh the irony <laughs> but no 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 our man has gone full walrus indeed he has gone full walrus and human just- is indeed a walrus at heart <laughs> he jams his tusk into his foot into howard's foot he falls to the ground and he gets on top. And almost as uh, one last fuck you to him as he's getting stabbed, Howard's looking deep into his eyes. He's like, you are my Mr. Tusk. And it's like, oh, geez, one last fuck you. It's like, you are now just a full walrus. Even though you've killed me, you've got your revenge. I've won in the end. Now you've gone full walrus. And, and really, I mean, it, it all kind of comes together at this point because, like, the way he says it, you can tell that he's not upset by it. He's very satisfied. He's finally found his true Mr. Tusk. Like, sure, he's died and he's going to bleed out in the enclave and all that stuff. But he's finally got what he wants. 24 victims in. He's finally got somebody that's gone full walrus. Somebody that was able to defend himself in the way that he always wished Mr. Tusk would have against him on that St. Petersburg Island. Yeah, how fucked up is... I mean, like, so he's he's basically ruined this guy's life, yet he gets to die with peace and comfort, and, you know, he goes out the way he wants to. Howard or, gets to go out the way he wants. Right. And Mr. Tusk, unfortunately, was sacrificed in the name... Of Mr. Howe's living. Uh, he became yeah. nothing more than uh, a sleeping bag and a source of steak. And we get, so then we get Allie and Teddy breaking in and seeing it. And, you know, our man's gone full walrus at this point. So he's grunting and hollering at them as they're breaking in. You see the pain in Allie's eyes. And, I mean, props to her. I mean, you're you're crying over your boyfriend being a walrus at this point. It's you know, intense. That's, oh, yeah. I love how... I can't do this, and I wish I could, but I love how there's actors and actresses out there that can just cry like on like on a whim. Like I hear Ben Affleck, you know, he get you give him ten minutes, he can ball his eyes out. Right, she does it very. I mean, I I feel like the initial scene that you get to see Genesis, uh, excuse me, Allie talking to Teddy, where you don't see Teddy off screen, he just like reaches his hand in that scene, and and Kevin Smith talks about this too. It's it just she does such an amazing job like the everything from the quivering lip to the way her voice trembles to the look in her eyes the way her tears well up like you feel every emotion that she's feeling when she's talking about how big of a piece of shit her 
fiance, husband, whatever Wallace is, I guess. I think it's just boyfriend. I just don't think boyfriend, they ever yeah, say yeah. fiance. Yeah. So how, when she's talking about how awful he is and, and how much she's like, I feel bad, but then I realize we're doing the right thing. And she's like, she is such a good actress. Like, And again, this is something we kind of talked about a little bit before we even started the show. Is I, I knew this was going to be tougher just because this movie is so based on that kind of thing where it's, it's, it's very dialogue-driven and the emotions are what speak through the, the scene. Not so much like the action, like, oh, this happened and they cut off this arm and the dude's eyes fell out and then this guy beat the shit out of this guy and it was fucking crazy, man! Like, the, you don't really get that in this movie. You get a lot of amazing dialogue and then the very end kind of climaxes in a little bit of action. Like, and it's, it's a lot harder to summarize that, but at the same time, like, I feel like, despite the fact that this is a spoiler show, that gives you reason to be like, check this film out. Like, there's there's acting that you don't get to see in a lot of other movies because they don't allow for this kind of story. Excuse the burps. Um, they don't allow for this kind of story. And the, the kind of dialogue that they do is, I mean, really, based on all the references, it's very akin to what... Uh, Quentin Tarantino does. That's another thing that he does in his movies. Like, yes, the violence is awesome and the cinematics he does are are beautiful, but like when it comes to his dialogue, that's what his movies shine through on. Like there's some true meaningful conversations. And that's what Kevin Smith did in this movie, I feel personally, which he's also kind of known for is his dialogue. But like they combine that within the action and the way that Quentin does. That's like this is so compelling. How can you not stick with this whole movie? And then you see her like do these three separate performances really where she's showing all of this emotion and everything from that very first scene excuse my long-windedness i know i tend to go on oh, these no, rants, but uh you see from that very first scene with her and teddy where she's you, you're just seeing her quiver and these tears to okay now she knows that wallace is in trouble and she's like oh my god teddy we something really happened and and right after all this you know teddy ignored that message and now he's in trouble because of that message ignorance and and all that stuff of a sort and now they're there and she's like oh my god i can't believe this is all happening like you don't see that kind of acting in almost any movie and you can't help but give her credit for the amount of emotion she can show in a movie that's this silly like <laughs> it's just so amazing to me that anyone can take something this seriously on any level much less the fact that she was able to make it feel this real for a movie that on most levels is really something that you would expect probably a 15 or 16 year old kid to come up with based on you know the silliness of the horror i mean that just shows a great actor or actress in that scenario because i mean she she became that character you know she walked into a room and saw her beloved boyfriend turned into a walrus and that's the reaction you would have um it was interesting i didn't really think about it. we didn't even explore the what like what was teddy what was going through teddy's mind you know he ignored the phone call that could have potentially saved his life right you know that you it never gets mentioned but i'm sure that would have been eating him up uh, well for sure i mean and, and the way from this point that we're talking about now and the way this plays out the rest of the way you can only assume that weighs on his mind like 3,000 tons. Uh, yeah. I and mean, I having ignored the call that could have saved your best f piece of shit friend's life, like, I guess this is as best of ways you can say that. Like, he may have been a garbage human in some ways that he wasn't willing to treat a woman that was beautiful and loved him in the way that she deserved. But like at the same time, like he cared about things and these two had a relationship together and he ignored that phone call and essentially let that man go to his grave. 
Yeah. That can't be easy to deal with. Well, that's, I mean, you see that in both their eyes. And, you know, as they see this happening, you see Guy Lapointe kind of walk in behind them. You know, he's found his white whale dead. And you see him pull the shotgun up and you're like, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to put this, this guy out of his misery and cut to black with just the sound of a Wally just bellowing. Yeah, you never hear the shotgun blast or anything like that, which is, uh, I, I like how they played that now. They didn't try to play it off like they shot him or like he uh, put um, how out of his misery or anything like that. I like that they just left it as like raised up the gun and then just left the screen black. And yeah, then went yeah. to the screams. I, I really liked that they did it that way. Yeah, because you don't know. Maybe Allie or Teddy stopped him, or maybe he thought better of it. You just don't know. Exactly. I really like that small sense of suspense. It, it, it's very crucial for this part of the movie. I yeah. mean, once the climax happens, there's not a whole lot of surprises in most movie. In most movies, Jesus, God, man, this cinnamon liquor is really setting <laughs> in. I'm like four glasses deep, honestly. <laughs> I've had the bottle just sitting here, and I just keep re-upping every time I finish the glass. So I'm amazed I'm holding it together this well. But, <laughs> yeah, just the way, like, I-, I like the slight bit of suspense that happens from that. Because, like, usually after the climax happens, there's no questions. Like, you pretty much know how the rest of the movie plays out. It's one of the few parts that's like, well, what what happened there? And then, of course, they answer that, but... Yeah, and that's what I, I I think I asked my mother-in-law, because, again, I took my mother-in-law to see us in the theaters, and I kept asking her, like, what you thought, and she's like, I have no idea what I was watching, but I couldn't look away. And so, like, when this end scene happens, you see the, the one year later pop up on the screen. Yep. And if you've listened to the podcast or anything like that, you know what's going to happen. It, but, it plays out 100% like oh, to describe yeah. the third act. It's perfect. So, I mean, do you want to take take the take the end road here? Dude, I've been super windy for the last 20 minutes. I'd rather you take the honors of fishing in this. Okay, so you see uh, you see them pull up. You see the one year later, and you see Teddy and them pull up in a car and get out. And one of them's holding uh, what looks like something wrapped in a newspaper. And so they're walking up into this kind of shady-looking uh it almost looks like a house, but it's got like a rhino and some other things in the front yard. And it says, uh, Manitoba Exotic Animal Sanctuary. Um, donations welcomed on the side. <laughs> and so, so it's like <laughs> an animal thrift store. <laughs> basically, yeah. It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those zoos you see on the side of the highway that you go in and you just feel really, really bad for all the mm, animals. This isn't a Jack Hanna type environment, is this? This is more like uh, Uncle Jebediah in the backwoods of Louisiana type environment. <laughs> that there's my tiger. You ever seen a crocodile up close? <laughs> She's about to get crazy. <laughs> so they, they walk up to the edge of this, and you see this basically this outdoor enclave. And what I noted and loved is that you've, <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got his hut. You've got those chug, uh, chug-a-lug or chug-to-lug uh, <laughs> cups all over the place. <laughs> there's the floaty from the, the first enclave, and then there's the ball from the enclave. So he got to keep his ball. <laughs> Thank God for that beach ball. Yeah. <laughs> Every half walrus needs a little entertainment. Am I right? <laughs> so, so they walk. They walk up to it, and I think she yells out um, Wallace's name. She's like, "Wallace, Wallace, we're here!" And you know, nothing happens. And I love Teddy's line because it's so quiet, but it's so awesome. <laughs> he he like kind of nudges her and looks at her. He's like, "Treat, yeah. treat." <laughs> Just cause the treat. 
<laughs> so she unwraps it and throws it out there. And that's when Wallace starts walking out. And, you know, they're like, you know, hey, Wallace, you don't need to hide from us, buddy. Uh, and, I mean, this is the great writing of, of Kevin Smith, too. Because, I mean, it's, it's you, I, you get emotional over this walrus and this girl. This is when you get the sentimentalism from Kevin Smith. Like, yeah. Despite how silly this final scene is, you still feel for Wallace this whole time. Because like now they've they've got this this wrapped up fish, and, and you're getting this flashback of how like Wallace is kind of talking with uh, Genesis. And she's, he's like, you know, crying's for babies. She, she's talking. She asks him, you know, why do you never cry to things? And he's like, you know, crying's for babies, and and blah 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 blah. And, and she goes, well, my grandma died, my grandpa cried, and it was, and it's all that shit. And so they kind of cut back from from that little flashback um, stuff, and she's tossing this this fish and he's eating the fish and like, she's feeling all bad and like, Oh God, I'm sorry. I loved you once. Don't ever forget that. All that good stuff. And like, she's telling him all this. He's omnominon of, of old musty fish. (laughs) Just laying on the concrete. He's crawled out of his like igloo dog kennel. And like, he's just chewing on this fish on the concrete. But like, he looks at her as she's saying this, like, I loved you and I'll never forget. And like, naturally, like, any Kevin Smith story should end. There's a slight tear. Yeah, and what and uh, just to add on that, so when they are in that cut scene, when she's talking about her grandpa, her grandpa said something to the effect of like, "Well, we cry so we know we're not animals." Right. Oh, and, how did I miss such an important line? Good yeah, point. and so then they cut back and you see Wallace crying. So it's like, oh my god, he's not an animal. He's not an animal, everyone. <laughs> He's not full walrus. <laughs> He's only 95% walrus. He just loves this mackerel fish. It's amazing. <laughs> hey, let's be honest. Mackerel's delicious. <laughs> Have you ever had mackerel in a sushi roll? It's fat. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need, <laughs> I need to get some sushi before the night's over. That sounds delicious. Um, I think we're on similar uh, time zones, and it's about a quarter after 10. Risky yeah. to have fish this late in the night. With booze in your tummy. <laughs> I just want to make that exclamation. Uh, and like I said, this this ends basically exactly like how the podcast says. So they cue the sad song. You start seeing credits. Um, we mentioned it before, but it's Guy Lapointe as Guy Lapointe as they're going through. Um, <laughs> Tender music. <laughs> <laughs> and what I, lo- what I love in this is they, as they get through some of the credits, they kick on the actual Smodcast episode. And they play about a minute and a half, maybe, of the episode of The Walrus and the Carpenter. Yeah, they cut together probably the last, like, uh, again, I think we both listened to episode one, uh, 259 to, uh, recently. And I, know I listened to it personally today. And they cut together kind of like the last 10 to 15 minutes or so into, like, the most concise uh, Tusk rel- relative parts. And it's just, like, it, it totally makes sense. Like, you... Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. That was disgusting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of hear it all come together, and you're like, wow, that is exactly how it played out. And if anything, if if, if all of that we've talked about comes down to anything, it's, it's just it's really cool to hear in what you're watching the credits. If you're a fan of this, you're watching the movie, so you're going to probably watch some of the credits. And you start to hear, again, probably the episode you've already heard at least twice and you're getting these parts of the movie that's like, 
they literally made you're you're visualizing what they were talking about in episode 259 of a podcast like something most people don't even know what a podcast is they were talking about it and then they made it into a motion picture that was in theaters you're literally hearing or excuse me you're literally seeing what they described in a verbal form in a visual fashion how often in your life does anything like that happen I mean, it, 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 uh, we talked about it throughout this whole thing, but it, I mean, expose you to the the creative process of you know design, you know, coming up with the idea, figuring out the plot, all the way through the creation of this, and I mean, it's just uh, it's super inspirational. I mean, like you see in the end, he thanks everybody for saying hashtag walrus yes. Yep. You know, like he even you know makes sure that you know you guys really pushed me to do this thing. Um, and I always love too. He goes back to like this movie really rekindled my love of creating film. You know, now he's doing the the film or the North or was it the yeah. Great White True North, North trilogy? True, True North, North trilogy, yep. yeah. Um, you know, and he's got other gigs on movies he's doing soon too. So he was done. I mean, he wasn't gonna make any more movies. Yeah. And this brought him right back, which is very much tied into this because. I mean, cop out with Bruce Willis and Justin Long is yeah. what stopped him from making movies in the first place. He made that movie and he got so much shit uh, between whatever confrontation he had with Bruce Willis and just how the movie played out. And he's just like, fuck this. Like, that's how we got Smodcast for as long as we did, really. I mean, his, his experience on cop out was like, oh my God, why am I even in this industry? It, it's just so grueling and awful and nobody treats you the way you, you want to be treated for an artist and all that good stuff. And then here we are, this exact thing that he was trying to use as a reprieve from that industry leads him right back, back into that industry. Nonetheless, Less with people that he did that last movie with it, it, it's just it's it's so inspirational it's like something can go terribly wrong and yet having a passion for something is gonna always bring you back to it like no matter what you're gonna come back to the thing that you love and for him that is movies and and you don't get a movie like this unless somebody is truly in love with what they're doing. You don't make this kind of movie that you don't think anybody's going to be ready for. You don't make a movie like The Human Centipede that nobody's going to be ready for unless it's just something that you want to do. Like it, it seems like a ridiculous comparison, I'm sure, to anybody that's listening to make. But it's super honest. It's really... I mean, if you listen to episode 259, The Wallace from the Carpenter, that's what a lot of this is predicated on, is the fact that if that movie can happen, there's no reason that something like Tusk can't. Yeah, exactly. I even talked about, like, uh, the, um, the Purge. He's like, in a world where The Purge can exist, this movie can exist, too. Agreed. Um, I mean, hell, he was try he was aiming for Bloomhouse out of the out of the gate, who has who made, um, let's see, The Purge and... I, I, I'm not even going to bother trying to pick, come up with other movies. So, But, like, they've made a whole bunch of, the really, the pioneers in modern-day horror movies. I mean, Bloomhouse makes almost all the awesome shit. They've got their hands in uh, Insidious. Um, they've touched on uh, the Paranormal Activity movies. They've got Tusk. I mean, th they've really done some of the biggest movies around. I, I'm too drunk to possibly remember all the movies. But... Um, for him to be like, oh, th these people can do that. There's absolutely no reason that we can't do this. And it's just, there's so much inspiration to be gained from this. And that, I, I really, that's the whole reason I wanted to do this episode in the first place. Is these, these two guys sitting behind two microphones and just having fun together 
can produce so much and they can inspire you if nothing else to produce something of your own that's just i don't have words for it i'm I'm gonna fucking cry (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean yeah it's uh, i i think I don't know if it's right to coin this, but I mean, like, this is the movie or this is kind of the, the year in Kevin Smith's podcast, uh, you know, career where he really launched like a thousand podcasts. You know, it's just like when they launched a thousand ships to fight for a beautiful woman, you know. Granted, he's not the most beautiful man in the world, but, you know, he's a genius in his own right. And, you know, it, if, if it wasn't for him, you know, once I wouldn't get to meet you and do this show with you. Um, right. I wouldn't be doing my show with Rich. Um, right. I'd probably be sitting on my couch looking at my phone, you know, watching some other stupid TV show. You know, this really has inspired me for the last two years to do something um, where I'm being creative. You know, I'm making these things that otherwise wouldn't exist. We're both being creative, wishing we were being creative. Like, yeah, exactly. If if it weren't for him, we would be just wishing we were doing what we're doing right now. And like, that in and of itself is invaluable. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 your your own worst critic. You'd be sitting there, and be like, "Well, there's no reason for me to try to film this thing, or there's no reason for me to do this radio show or this podcast because who's gonna listen? You know, I'm a nobody. You know, it's, I'm not gonna make anything of it." And you know, Richard and I talk about this all the time. It's like, you know, we may never, you know, be able to make a career out of our show or anything like that, and that's fine because you know we're closer as friends, and you know we've met so many people just with our show that you know otherwise we would have never met. And, you know, that's just kind of the magic of it, I guess. It's really cool. I mean, just since being even slightly connected to you guys, I've met cool people. I mean, just to be completely frank with the whole thing, most of our fans are are local friends of mine that have gone from that sort of thing. So, like, anything that's outside of that has has largely come from your guys' fan base. And... It's just really cool to have people like Brian that are in. You know, he he comes in. He's like, I really like language bromance. You guys participate on their page. I check you guys out. Like that kind of stuff is super important. And so to have like guys on Kevin Smith's level that are doing that is even more important because, let's be honest, uh, podcasts are what modern cable television was in probably what the nineteen eighties. Is really when when the cable TV was kind of coming to prog- uh, coming into its own form. It's got like the main three or four channels or whatever. And and at this point, we're kind of at that that weird wild west internet point of podcasts. And to have people like Kevin Smith out there doing what we're doing, and then you know inspiring people like you and you give you know people like me stuff. And it's just it's it's, it's absolutely insane how quickly things travel in, in the modern internet verse. I guess is probably the best way I can uh, refer to that. Yeah, I mean, the thing with this, too, is you just stay consistent. You keep doing it. You know, you find people that like your stuff. Um, You know, in this Internet world, I think they say if you have, like, 5,000 people that are, you know, pretty good followers of yours, you can make a living off that. So you're helping 50, you know, 50,000, or not 50,000, 5,000 people just get through their workday by listening to your free funny. For sure. It's it's super enriching. Um, Nothing really feels better than impacting somebody else's day in a positive way. And if you can do that just by having fun with your friends, holy Christ, what the fuck are you doing sitting right now just listening to Sean and I? Get off your ass and do it yourself. Like, nothing feels better than, like, getting a message from somebody being like, you made me laugh today. Oh, yeah. You're funny, and I appreciate your funny. I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that way more than I can, that that feels so good. 
Well, yeah, and we and it's something that I think, um, like at a Kevin Smith level, you get told that you know thousands of time a day, so it can probably get numb to it. Yeah. But you know, at my level, it, it happens maybe once a week or every other week. And at first, it was kind of like, oh my god, people are listening to me. That like this seems really odd. But then after a while, you're like, this is awesome. I'm going to talk to this person. Or I'm going to talk to that person, and you know, build this communication between and kind of build this community. Because um, I mean, like you know, this is we have one life to live, so. You know, if you can surround yourself with a bunch of cool people and, you know, you know, make each day a little bit better, I mean, why not go for that? Agreed wholeheartedly. So let's go ahead and wrap the show up for the most part as to not babble too terribly long as a result of just booze and, <laughs> uh, and overall just dick suckingness. <laughs> um, so, guys, this has been 8mm Dissection Tusk. What more can Sean and I say than just be inspired? Like, just get out there and do some shit. Just like Kevin Smith says, you can do it. All you need is an iPhone. I mean, let's be honest. You don't need to record video. Every iPhone comes with a voice recording app. You can literally make a podcast with just that. Like, if you mount that anywhere, it's just like stack eight books high, and now it's as tall as you and the other friend sitting in the chair next to you. You guys can talk into that phone and make a podcast. There's really no reason you can't fucking do it. Get out there and make your dreams come true. If this is something that you think would make you happy, get out there and do it. That's, at least to me, that's the whole point of this podcast beyond just how much I love that movie is get out there and do it yourself because it's made both of us as well as Rich, uh, the hamster, <laughs> even saying that name makes me snicker every time, um, AJ and Jared, like the, the uh, six of us, am I doing the math correct? Five of us, excuse me. No, it is six. The six of us, if we're all out there doing this, then there's no reason you can't. And please, if you're hearing this, just get out there and try it your own if you're at all interested. I mean, what else are you doing? What are you doing with your free time? Are you sitting? Are you watching Daredevil every day of the week? Are you watching The New Girl? Are you checking up on your, on your newest Hulu subscription? You could spend at least one hour of that a week making a podcast and having more fun than you're having just watching a show. Why? Because you have friends, and you can get them together and discuss shit that you think is at least interesting. Uh, if not important, and why not do that and have at least somebody be interested in what you're saying? And even if they're not, you're having an interesting conversation with your friends. Get out there and do it. I mean, am I wrong? No, you hit everything on the head. I mean, the thing I think about with this is, you know, you look at these conversations that you're having, and yeah, you look back 20 years, like, oh my gosh, I was such a dork. But you know what? Someday you're going to look back at those and be like, I'm glad I recorded that conversation. Agreed wholeheartedly. <laughs> Entirely inappropriate, but it was perfect. How about we sign off for the night after we do these quick grading systems and just call it an evening? Sounds good to me. All right, so how we typically do these gradings, and uh, we'll kind of take into, a, uh, into account rather the personal and uh, more subjective version. Uh, so we typically do this in five, or excuse me, six separate sections, depending on how you count it. Uh, so we got one, we, we like to look at the setting. Two, we like to look at the cache. Three, we look at the cinematography. Four is the plot. And five is the originality. Now, if you want to include the sixth, there are the whoopsie section that can detract from the overall value of the, of the movie. If there's like a lot of uh, camera mistakes that don't make sense with what happened earlier in the movie, or this dialogue doesn't match up with this dialogue, that kind of stuff, you can kind of take that if there's a bunch of them and detract from the overall score 
But personally, I'm going to start with, let's go with the setting. Um, we'll just go straight down the line. One, two, three, four, five. Um, the setting, I think, is is top notch. Um, I mean, they play it off the whole time that it's in Canada. And as far as I'm concerned, it could be spring to summertime Canada the whole way through. Um, Howard Howe is supposed to be this this world-traveled, uh, semi-rich, um, definitely um, story-enriched old man who just has a lot to kind of give to the world. So uh, based on the house that they show on the outside, which is like a, a chateau or something to that effect in South Carolina, um, it, it just looks right from the outside when you see the inside. It's just this beautiful, gorgeous mansion that has all sorts of uh, cool stuff that would have come from travels and excuse me, interactions with uh, tribes or cultures from different societies that the setting seems really legitimate to me. Uh, what do you think of the setting, personally? Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything on that setting is great. I mean, you have the gas station spot that I mean, it looks. I mean, it looks like a convenience store in Canada. Um, you know, you've got the mansion place that's set up. You know, it looks like it's off in kind of the middle of nowhere. Quick it's pause. Question for you. Uh huh. Uh, you're in Missouri, right? Yeah. Do you have quick trips down there? Yeah, we have quick trips. This the A to Z's to me feel like a quick trip. Yeah, like a Canadian it, quick trip. In a lot of ways, it feels like a quick trip. I think that's mostly a, a Midwestern things, quick trips. But it feels like a quick trip to me. Yeah, I get I get that feeling a lot too. Um, it's I mean, it, it has a good feel to it, definitely. Um, it looks a little bit different than the quick trips here. Like it's you know, it, it's kind of like if you visit a quick trip in Missouri or you go to one a little bit further away, like they still look kind of similar, but they're different. They're not as comfortable, I guess. Right. Because you're and not as used to them. Quick with a K and not a Q, by the way, folks. Because yeah. I, visit, I visited my father in uh, Phoenix, and they have quick trip with a, with a Q. And that threw me off a little bit. I got I to be honest with you. They have like 20 flavors of slushies, but it threw me off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify, this is quick trip with a K. Uh, let's see. So yeah, the mansion looks good. The enclave. I thought the enclave was awesome. Like it, it gives you that feeling like this is something some dude built in a old basement that might have been like an old indoor pool that he conformed. Um, let's see. There's the seagulls uh, were the perfect addition. Yeah, the seagulls and the beach ball and yeah, that whole thing was just awesome. Um, so I think the settings and everything were pretty perfect for what this movie was for. What do you think of the casting? Casting, I thought uh, Justin Long was great. Um, Teddy was the only one that was a little questioning. Um, like I think you could probably put just about anybody there, and they probably could fit that role. Um, I think it being uh, Haley Joel Osment's kind of cool because it's like, oh, that's the that's the kid who sees ghosts, right? Um, so you, you kind of see that for a little bit, but or you think, hey, that's the guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What? <laughs> He looks what am like I missing? he looks like um, I can't remember which one it is. He looks like one of the dudes from uh, Always Sunny. Um, oh my the, god, I love Always Sunny. I I don't know what I'm missing here. Yeah, Who there was an episode like? where they did like a uh, where oh they did god. like a movie of Always Sunny, like in the in the show, and Haley Joel Osment played one of the guys. Uh, when they did the uh, the Lethal Weapon five recording. No, I think it was no because he was playing. I think it was Mac. He was playing Mac. Okay. Oh, what am I God? I can't believe I'm missing this. Like I've watched every single season of Always Sunny, and I can't believe I'm blanking on what you're talking about. I'm so embarrassed right now. It's one of my favorite goddamn shows of all goddamn time. 
There's a lot of uh, back-to-back cuss words, and I'll take it because it's our show. <laughs> um, so I think, and the only other one that kind of threw me off was the girls and the convenience store. Um, they, I don't, I mean, they didn't do a terrible job. I mean, for the movie that it is, but you can tell that like this was their first time acting. Yeah, oh, for um, sure. But um, other than that, like Gila Point, um, Justin Long, uh, Howard's character, those all were cast. I think you know pretty much almost as perfect as you could get. I, I can't help but agree more with you. Um, I feel like in a way the uh, the clerk store girls uh, being you know Harley Quinn and uh, Miss Rose, um, they it was almost more of a setup to yoga hosers than it was anything else. Like I feel like their characters were just meant to be like, hey, there's this other movie coming and it's gonna star these two girls. And that's kind of like their introduction. Wow, that was drunk as fuck. Their introduction <laughs> to what those characters are going to be. Like, this is what we plan on being. They're these nonchalant, like, teenage clerk store kind of girls, kind of like an homage to what Ke- Kevin Smith started with. And it's like, hey, it's these girls, and this is going to be the next installment of the True North uh, trilogy. It, that's all it felt like to me. Um, but at the same time, like, they played the, the Canadian two girls who worked at a convenience store pretty well at the same time like completely non-interested if you're working at a convenient um at least in modern america if you're or even canada for that matter if you're working in a modern convenience store you're gonna be like this is whatever like i'm just doing this because i'm 15 and i need to make money like and that's kind of the attitude they have yeah i'm making 750 an hour that you're not gonna get any niceness out of me <laughs> right you're not gonna get i might you're not gonna get that out of me it's just not how Fuck that. I don't have time for that. I'm getting paid seven fifty yeah. an hour. <laughs> you're, you're lucky I don't spit in your drinks. I spit in your A to Zs. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with you. The casting, I think, is pretty spot on. There's a couple of points where you're like, nah. I mean, they maybe could have done better here, but... It was also like Kevin Smith being like, this is my movie. I'm going to put my daughter in it. She wants to try acting. I'm going to let her try to act. And Johnny Depp's in this movie. So, sure, I'm going to let his daughter fucking try, too. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> and it's not a pivotal role, either. I mean, it's not like, you know, they don't take you out of the movie where it's like, man, this whole ru- movie is ruined because of those convenience girls. It's like, they were just convenience girls. I mean, they right. had a few lines, and, you know, it wasn't the greatest acting in the world, but it didn't take me out of the movie. They had a couple of funny lines, and like, oh, I hate American guys, and they had the mustache thing. I mean, they had good lines. It, it's not like they didn't serve a purpose. It's just like, mm, I, I could tell this was your first time acting, and yeah. that's about as bad as you could say about them. Um, so beyond that, we would go to cinematography. Uh, so just like the lighting and, and how the cameras move along and, and how the audio, excuse me, how the audio is set up. Um, as far as Kevin Smith movies go, this is one of the most active movies you'll get out of him. Yeah, and it, he used a different guy. Usually, he uses Dave Klein, and this was a different yep. uh, cinematographer. Right. Um, I like the is a little bit darker shot, which I think was really cool. Um, there's a few scenes in the the mansion where they're a little too dark, where you can't really see a lot of things. Uh, which um, ones are you referring to there? Uh, it's more so. I mean, it, it fits the scene, um, but it's when he gets his phone, like you only see the the light from the phone on his face. Um, so like if, if you, if it's a little bit dark in the background, so you, if you don't really look for it, you can kind of miss Howard walking up on him. Right. Um, but I mean, it's pretty consistent throughout. So, I mean, I think that's the kind like for what this film is shot for, I think that's like kind of the ideal 
you know, lighting and the sound was good. I didn't have any issues with the sound. Um, I think they spent a lot of money on the Tusk, uh, the Tusk song. So you didn't get a lot of other songs throughout and the score was a little bit weak because of that too, I think. I, I can agree with that to a certain degree, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like Fleetwood Mac is almost the perfect setting as far as music goes for this kind of a movie. They they kind of have this all over the place sort of discography where they hit these really low points where it's a lot of emotion and depression and, and, and this like, we want you to feel along with us kind of thing, whereas it can also rise and reach this point of like, be inspired along with us. Like, we're praying and life is good and things are great. And I feel like as far as if you could have chose a band to kind of span the emotions that this movie tends to span, Fleetwood Mac's a pretty good option. Like they they kind of cover the gambit as far as uh, human emotions go, and they're kind of like, hey, you know, we've got this tusk, and which is what they spent all their money on, <laughs> but we can <laughs> we can kind of do this all within the same song and all that kind of stuff. It's like, despite the fact that they spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on one movie or two hundred whatever it was, it's the fact that they could do as much as they could with as little as they had in regards to Fleetwood Mac is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, you definitely get the feeling that he wrote this movie watching or listening to that song. Cause it has that pretty consistent cadence. Mm-hmm. I, I agreed wholeheartedly, which uh, kind of flows along with how dogma played out with uh, Alanis Morissette, in my opinion. Oh uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so next along with that would come with uh plot. Like, kind of how it flows, how predictable it was, all that kind of stuff. Um, and me, personally, the plot was the way, if, if you're watching the movie, you can somewhat anticipate, and maybe that's, again, it could just be entirely because I've listened to the podcast ahead of when the movie, or ahead of when I saw the movie, not necessarily when it came out. Um, you can kind of predict where it's going to go because you heard the podcast, and this is what you expected of the first act. This is what you expected, expected rather of the second act. This is what you thought the third act was going to be. So you had this good idea of where the hour and 44 minutes were going to go, but you weren't sure how it was going to play out. So, like, it definitely had the non-predictability in the essence that it wasn't a movie that anyone's made before. It was 100% new as far as this is a horror movie, enjoy it like it was cool in that aspect but it was predictable because if you're a fan of smodcast you followed along for the whole thing and you pretty well knew how the movie was gonna play out like there wasn't a whole lot of surprises for you and that's my only downfall to this entire movie is you're like okay so the guy's gonna eventually go full walrus the guy's gonna be turned into a walrus the guy's gonna get in this ridiculous situation he's a podcaster like you kind of can draw a lot of those conclusions just from having listened to the broadcast so if you're a fan of kevin smith the plot's like it's a little thin it doesn't have at least personally again it doesn't have like any real surprises to it but that aside the plot is entirely original from anything else uh, anything else that you have ever heard yeah, I completely agree. I know, uh, again, like uh, when I took my mo- my mother-in-law in there, she uh, I kind of got to see like, I was like, well, what are your thoughts? You know, s- basically not knowing anything about this. 
How and, old is your mother-in-law, if you don't mind my asking, or she doesn't mind my asking? Uh, she just turned 60. She so um, went on 60. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting because, like, that's a pretty big difference. You're 30-ish? Yeah. I'm th- so it's kind of funny because I turned 30 this year. Uh, my mother-in-law turned 60, and my actual mom turned 50 this year. Okay. So, yeah, so, that gives us a good dichotomy. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like the whole idea. She's like, well, you know, I didn't know what I was watching, but, you know, I couldn't look away. And so I kind of wish that I, I didn't know about the podcast. But then again, I probably wouldn't go see this movie if I didn't. Agreed wholeheartedly. But, yeah, I think the plot fit. I mean, it's it's definitely far out there, you know, somebody turning somebody into a walrus. But, you know, everything made sense. There wasn't, like, a lot of big plot holes where it's like, well, that's completely unrealistic. I mean, yeah, you could say like, well, how do you get money for this mansion? How do you, you know, how did he kill all these people and not get caught? But you know, for the most part, I think it fits fairly well. I agree. I mean, and and also, Jesus Christ! In all honesty, um, I think you could amass that kind of fortune. I mean, if you live the kind of life that he lived. Pre going absolutely goddamn bonkers, where you want to turn humans <laughs> into walruses. <laughs> I mean, that alone could be interesting enough to make some sort of, uh, at least light of, to make some sort of profit off of. I mean, that's an interesting life. Not a lot of people live the life where they've met Ernest. Er, Jesus Christ, Ernest. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. I'm so glad this is my show so I don't have to feel too terribly bad about being garbage. Um, Yeah, not a whole lot of people live the life where they meet Ernest Hemingway and they're just like, oh my God, I met this guy on Normandy. And he was like, oh my God, I'm Ernest Hemingway. And I I gave him some booze while I was peeling some potatoes and all that good stuff. Like, who has that kind of story? So, like, if you're that guy, you probably have an interesting enough life that you could – make some sort of lucrativity off of it like you could you have some sort of income based on like this is what i did let's make this based off of that or you could take these ideas and make this based on my my personal life like the dude could make some money but at the same time it's like how do you support being able to be a surgeon and you were just some lackey in the military and you were on normandy and now all of a sudden you're able to Make a man into a walrus. Like, there's, there's definitely some plot holes. I guess that's my point in all this. Is there's some plot holes, but like, all the while, you're like, well, people go crazy. You don't look at something like the Aurora um, theater shooting and be like, that dude was totally sane. He dressed up like the Joker and shot up a theater. That dude definitely knew what was going on. Yeah. You don't say that. Like, you, you know, the guy had something wrong up top. So, like, you can't be like, okay, that happens in the real world, but something like what happened in Tusk can't possibly happen, which is in and of itself what makes this movie so terrifying is somebody could experience this life of thrill and wonder for a good 40 years and then just have this one instance that takes a man and breaks him in half like a a one-quarter-inch diameter stick and be like, look, man, I'm taking advantage of what you've done, and I'm going to make this mine. And and that one break of a stick could be enough to affect who knows how many people's lives in a, in a way that we see play out in, in a movie like Tusk. I mean, it's just you can't possibly fathom what's going on in the world. And, and to completely say that something like this can't happen is absolutely ludicrous and... I think that in and of itself is what makes this movie so scary. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in a world where there's, like, the Ed Geins and stuff like this, like, yeah, this is definitely something that 
is plausible. Would it be to this extent? Probably not. But I mean, you, you can't tell me that there's not some crazy person out there in this world that, you know, is like, hey, I want to dress this person up as, you know, something. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. Again, that all runs together. Those are two of the stories that are one and the same. Ed Gein was the spawn of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre story. And if those two can be combined, combined, Jesus, I'm so embarrassed at my <laughs> liquor talk. Um, if those two can be combined and be made into, I mean, even in the 70s, into a scary horror movie, and then again into, I think it was like 2002, 2003 or so. That yeah, that something like that. Was made with, two, with with Jessica Alba. If, if that can still be scary that many years later, 30-ish years later, there's no reason to start like, like this. Tusk, like something super reasonable. I mean, think about the Uber guy that went on a rampage, what was that, a month and a half, two months ago now? Like... Just this basic taxi service. He went on a, a murder rampage, killed like six to nine people. How unreasonable could it possibly be that in a very rural part of the world, like Canada, where not a lot of people live, and and sure there's some some law enforcement, but like if you're in the sticks, not a whole lot of people are gonna be able to get to you real quick. This could totally happen. Like some crazy ass guy who served in a war or uh, had any sort of fucked up experience, could come back to his home country and be like, I think you could be a walrus. <laughs> that might happen, man. I have or, the skills and the money to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> I could make you a walrus, and I think you could make a great walrus. I think I'm going to say that right now. You could be the Patty LaBelle of walruses. Well, and you know, it's probably a learning experience. Like his first few walruses probably didn't look that good. No, so, it looked more like Sloth from the Goonies yeah. starting out. We're at the 23rd and 24th time he's done this, so he's he's had time to become an expert. He's refined his skills a little <laughs> bit. He's been performing at the Renaissance Festival for a while now. He's got his shit down. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as like the plot, goes what do you think on that man like i i meandered around for a good 5 10 12 minutes so uh yeah i think it's good i mean it's it's definitely something um i know like the next thing where you said was originality um it definitely took uh pieces from other kind of genres and other movies and it fitted into its own original idea um to me I'd, it takes a little bit of hit of it being completely original because yes it's uh it's you know it's taking inspiration from other areas but again there there's not any other movies out there where somebody's turning somebody else into a walrus. So definitely this is a very, very original idea in that sense. Right. The closest thing we've got is the human centipede, like they reference in the show. I mean, you don't have much to compare it to. And the, the few things you have to compare it to are some of the most fucked up things in movie history. Yeah. You, they, can't, com you can't compare uh, walrus to Tusk very accurately, but... It's the most accurate thing you're gonna get. Yeah, and even that one, like that's multiple people getting sewed together, and it's it's more of a um, you know a gag stomach reaction where this is more of a psychological uh, you know just abuse to to Wallace because you know he's he's trying to turn this guy, and I don't know if human centipede if they're trying to turn them into a centipede or not. That always seemed like it was more of like a science experiment. Or this, he's he's trying to change you from like he's taking away your humanity to turn you into something else. You said you've never seen the human centipede before. No, right? I haven't seen it. Uh -uh. 
honestly, it really does follow along very closely with how Tusk plays out. Okay. Is, um, you, you know, the Howard Howell character in, uh, I guess I can't remember the, the official name of the character from the Human Centipede, but, like, how they coincide is very accurate. I mean, they're, they're crazy scientists, really, that just want to make this shit happen. And w- depend on what their motives are is semi-irrelevant to the entire situation is almost exactly the same plot like they they want to see this thing happen and they're about to make that shit happen <laughs> despite the horror that it's going to inflict on other motherfuckers so it, i mean it really does play really really close to along uh, along those lines um so originality or oh, jesus christ i'm so drunk uh, <laughs> <laughs> originality it does uh if you if you can include the fact that the human centipede is made then you can consider this movie very original i mean it has its own thing going on almost wholeheartedly as long as you can exclude the human centipede it's its own thing it's it's intense it's got its own moments that you're like what the fuck is happening you can feel free to be like, I don't know what's what this part of the movie means. You can kind of guess this and that. It has its own mystery along to it, despite the fact that you kind of have a semi-idea of what the fuck is going on. And I like that. I mean, it makes it... Horror movies these days have become so predictable. That's oh, yeah. kind of yeah. the problem with 8mm is that we, we have kind of come accustomed to what it's going to be. Like... There's this beginning part where where things are gonna be like, oh, everything's great, and then all of a sudden things are gonna be like, things are kind of sketchy, and everybody that was like, things are great, is gonna be like, things are kind of fucky, and then all of a sudden things are gonna be like, okay, we need to figure out what's going on because this shit's bad, people are dying, and the next thing you know, they're like, people are dying, let's fix this, and then the movie's over, and all of a sudden things are fixed. Like, that's just kind of how modern horror movies tend to go. And it was kind of cool to have this movie be like, things aren't fixed, man. Like, you just sort of put a bandage on the wound. And this whole sect of people that are like this are going to keep being like this. And you may have saved this guy, Mr. Wallace, but these people exist all over the world. And there's not anything you can really do to stop them from existing. Like, they're going to keep being these people. They're going to keep being these horrible human beings, these scary monsters. And no matter what you do, these people are going to exist. And they're going to always want to live out their their fantasies or whatever you want to consider them. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, in this situation, you know, most horror movies, you kind of have the ending where the thing gets resolved. And you kind of have the the trick ending at the back where, you know, the, the monster is still alive. But in this one, like, you know, the monster was killed. You know, Howard's dead. He's not going to do this to anyone ever again. But, you know, Allie and uh, Teddy, they're going to have to suffer through this as their best friend and boyfriend is a basically a walrus for the rest of their life. And he's going to have to live as a walrus for the rest of right. his life. In this anima sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> Where donations are, are appreciated. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> if you have 15 cents to spare, Mr. Wallace could have very much appreciate your donations. <laughs> he go, he goes through beach balls like you wouldn't understand. Those chuggalugs are only a dollar <laughs> fifteen a piece. <laughs> for a mere twenty dollars a month, you could supply him for three months on <laughs> chuggalugs. With w- one mere donation more, 
we have all the beach balls we could need for the next year. That's <laughs> <laughs> as basic as it gets. Um, so, yeah, folks, let's be honest. Live out your dreams. Don't get stuck in a walrus-type situation. <laughs> and, frankly, just be you. Like, is is that not the whole point of this? Like, be you and enjoy yourself and do what you want to do. Like, live your dreams. If nothing else to Sean, this is my point in all this. Is like, enjoy yourself. Enjoy what you think is funny. And then make other people laugh. Like, that's the only point in doing a podcast. If you're doing it, you're either making yourself laugh or enjoying the fact that you make other people laugh. That's the only reason to do this. And if if you're doing it for any other reason, that means that you're fronting for yourself. So if, if you're doing it for the reasons of you get enjoyment out of it or you love that other people do, keep doing it, guys. Because this is, at least for me, I get both of those. I get both enjoyment from me and people like Sean or... Or people like Brian that enjoy the show and they and they message us or what have you. They're like, hashtag, this is what I loved out of this episode. Or um, you guys talked about this, what about this part? Or anything like that. If you guys are doing that or wondering what people are thinking about your shows, just keep doing this because it really is the best outlet you can get. Am I wrong? No, that's exactly right. I mean... I always tell people if you have like any thought of like, should I do a podcast? My answer is directly like, yes, go ahead and do it. Because if you get 10 episodes in and you're like, man, I, I don't like doing this, at least you found out. Like, I didn't know Richard and I would be almost at 100 episodes by now, but you know, we started it and we liked it. We kept doing it. And you don't realize how much fun you can have doing something until you try to do it. It's true. You really can't realize it. I mean, here we are. I mean, March 11th was our official one-year anniversary here at Gensync of doing these podcasts, and I am with the reason that we started the show. I mean, I, I guess to be fair, I can't say how much Richard had a part in starting Language of Bromance, but I feel like you're kind of the, if you will, the brains behind the op- operation. You're, you're kind of like, let's do this, man. Like, I, I have the equipment. Let's get this started. And, and that's kind of what I took the inspiration from. It was like, Sean wants to get this shit going. And if Sean wants this, why can't I want this? And if the rest of you are out there sitting and be like, boy, I think I'm funny. My friends think I'm funny, but I don't think I'm funny. Just do it, dude. Yes. Really don't hesitate. There'll be there'll be somebody out there, and you you have no idea how great it feels when somebody says, "Oh, hey, you know, you said this thing, and I laughed out loud at work." You're like, "That's that's awesome! Like that's that's better than anything that I've experienced in my life up to this point." I think. If you're laughing, someone's laughing, other than you. And I think that's like the easiest point to take away from this. If you're laughing, someone's laughing too, because laughing is never a one man thing. There's always somebody else to enjoy in whatever humor was there to take in there's always somebody that's like holy shit you're right that is fucking funny despite how perverted or uh, or graphic or whatever it is like somebody always understands that it's that it's a joke and and you're having fun with the situation be it 
you know, you're crafting a story or you're crafting a movie plot or you're or you're trying to write uh, some sort of short story or a novel or whatever. Like it does it doesn't matter. Art is amazing because it's coming a hundred percent out of you. And that's the big thing that I wanted to convey out of this. I've repeated myself at least thrice now. <laughs> and and I really just if if you're drunk, you always the thing that comes out is the truth. And the thing that I want, I think personally, the one thing that I want to come out of this is that everybody make sure you're doing what you want to do. Like, what else can I say? There really isn't anything else. Like, just try. It's so hard to get out there and be like, this is me. I'm excited. Let me know what I'm about, I guess, because I'm just me and it's, it's hard to judge myself. When somebody else tells you that's like, oh, you're not funny at all, that's going to be hard to deal with. But when somebody else tells you, this shit made my entire five days of my work week, you will not look back at that other person that's like, you ruined like one and one half hours of my life. No one will consider that. You won't consider that. The people that love you won't consider that. The reason you make this show isn't going to be relevant to that. It's it's the most important thing you can possibly think of when you, when it comes to podcasting is just making sure that you and you alone care about what the fuck you're doing, and I feel like that's what John, what Sean and I are trying to do today is we're just this is what this episode and what our shows are about is that we are here to prove that everybody can do this, and whether or not you believe in the Kevin Smith story or whether you complete. Uh, some sort of program that says like you could be a, a podcast star or whether or not you do some sort of college program that's like, oh, you're f- officially educated in what like modern media is. Like no matter what, you can do what we're doing. As long as you have an interesting personality, this is what you can do. You can make yourself interesting enough that other people are going to want to listen to you. And despite the heavy breathing or uh, microphones or thousands of miles between you, you can make this shit interesting. And just get out there and do it. There's nothing else we can tell you. Nothing more than a sentiment from the end of this podcast. See, I couldn't say it any better. You you hit the nail on the head, man. Try to say it better because I am so drunk that I don't think I could say it better. (laughs) Well, like, like, like the, like the movie says, always do sober what you'll do drunk. And, you know, I think both you and I, if we're sober or we're drunk, we're going to tell people, do a podcast, you know, make yourself happy. As long as you're not hurting anybody, go out and do your thing. So that's it. Three hours and 10 minutes and 40, (laughs) three hours, 10 minutes, 43 seconds and whatever. It doesn't matter. We're out of this fucking show. Kevin Smith. You're the goddamn hero in all this. You're the reason a lot of podcasts exist. And thank you fucking very much for Sean and I being here, man. Heck yeah. Thank- and I want to thank you for having me on the show, man. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about this flick, and we'll have to do another one of these soon. The last 40 minutes has been a clusterfuck because I got really drunk. Excuse me <laughs> on that. I got a little overzealous. Normally, I've wrapped up by this point, so... <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I agree with you. I I would love to do these again with you. I love the crossovers, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for for producing all this. I can't wait to see you and uh, your Q and A session and your education coming up in the next uh, May, whatever month it is. 
um, here in Minnesota. I, I really can't wait. I know Sean's gotten to see you live. He's gotten to talk to you, all that good stuff. And I, I can't wait to hope, hopefully have my own opportunity. Um, that's it this week. We what is it today? The tw- the first is it the first? Yeah, it's April first, man. Yeah. Holy shit! It's April like Fool's April Day. Fool's Day. <laughs> we should, God damn it, we should have done this from the beginning. It should have been an April Fool's <laughs> joke, and I'm embarrassed of myself for not even thinking of it. We should have done an April Fool's joke. Regardless, here we are at the very end of of Tusk. It's 2014, right? That yeah, it came made. out in 2014. Yeah, so yeah. I thought Tusk 2014. Kevin Smith, Sean, Petey. Jensink, Language of Bromance. Holy shit, this is the biggest crossover we've ever had. <laughs> I love you, man. This has been a good goddamn time. I had a blast, man. Thanks for the real honestly, thanks for having me on. This is I normally don't get to talk about movies for, for this long, so this has been awesome. We're at three hours and twelve minutes, so this is a pretty long time for you guys. Literally almost triple your typical episode, <laughs> so your voice might almost be tapped out. So it's pretty much a perfect time for us to be tapping out ourselves. This has been an 8mm dissection of Tusk by Language of Romance and Gentleman's Inquiry presenting of a Smodcast production. Thank you very much. My name is Petey. Over on the other side, we've got... Sean from the Language of Romance. Holy shit! This has been Gentleman's Inquiry. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Peace out. Say bye, Sean. Bye, Sean. Oh, my God. That was so cute. (laughs) All right. So I listened to probably in and out of the last five to ten minutes of that. And that is a shit show for me personally. Um, I just realized, like, listening to it, I was like, God, I was just babbling incoherent nonsense. I mean, you could get what I was trying to say. And it wasn't like the sloppiest I've ever heard somebody, but that was pretty ridiculous. Um, Just a heads up, that's probably the last time that'll ever happen on this show. Uh, I don't like how it works out. I I wasn't, yeah, I'm just not happy with that part of it. I had a great time. Uh, I just think I should probably play this a little more professional. Don't you guys agree? Um, So yeah, we may drink on the show, but it'll never be a a drunk cast anymore. Sorry. Um, It's not even really a sorry. You guys would probably appreciate it, so you don't have to listen to my like heavy breathing and slurring words and all that good shit. So, uh, sorry about that. This will be the last one of those. Um, I'm glad it's not totally intolerant. It's almost funny on a certain level, even to me, just listening to how fucking ridiculous I sound. Um, so that's that. God damn it. I had a great time. Uh, even every time I work on this, which has only been, you know, the twice since we've done, but, uh, in the editing process, just checking out little parts and, it uh it was it was really really fucking cool to sit down with somebody like Sean and discuss a movie like this. Um it's more fun even reflecting on it in a sober frame of mind. Um but enough ragging on myself for being a drunk piece of shit. <laughs> Let's wrap this shit up like we normally would. And I should probably stop cussing so much. Uh I think I just use it like uhs and ums and ands and likes as like uh what do they call it? I literally just use them back to back like uh um, well, um, no, you, I'm pretty sure that I use it as a crutch when I'm talking. It's a way of just getting through it without having the words completely prepared in my head. Um, and that kind of irritates me too. I like to say this so that next time I'm thinking about it. So really I'm just working advice for myself. So you're probably ignoring me anyway. Twitter.com. You can reach us there. We are at gents underscore I N Q. 
facebook.com slash gents inc gentlemen's inquiry at gmail.com is our email address you can find us on itunes it's probably the best place personally uh, but i just because it's because i like how they format it the biggest bummer about itunes is that they don't have i mean and maybe this is something i can fix i just haven't figured out how yet um, but they don't have the entire backlog up for you to be able to view at any particular time it only goes back to i think whatever episode 36 was titled um so that's kind of a bummer, but I like it because it's convenient if you're an Apple uh, user to just download shit like that. So find us on iTunes, subscribe. I love that shit. Um, we've also got our stuff up on Stitcher. You can find us there. If you're more of an Android guy, that might be the easier route for you. Um, otherwise, if not, you can always use the Podbean app. That's another great place, uh, and that's where we put everything up. Uh, that's our, our main page. And uh, I mean, for a while, it's been gentlemensinquiry.podbean.com, but soon that should be changing, and we'll actually have our own gentsinc.com uh, page, G-E-N-T-S-I-N-Q.com. Um, but I'll let you guys know when that shit's up and running. For now, I've given you all I can give you. Now, how would you give me a little something back and just cut me some slack? What am I saying? Uh, let's get out of here, folks. My name is Petey. Love you all. I love you, Sean. Even if you're not hearing this, this was fucking sweet. Fuck, shit, sweet. Um, like, um, yeah. And like, yeah. Mwah. See you next week, folks. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm so retarded. Bye.